This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. Okay, that Dallas Bucks game. Let's talk about it. Everybody's bashing on the field goal kicker. Dak played the game of his life. Tom Brady showed his age. Yes. uh, For the first time maybe ever. Dallas defense is really good. I know I'm a Texan and I'm supposed to know what's going on with the Cowboys, but I kind of checked out on them probably about halfway through the season. And Micah Parsons and the whole defensive unit is really good. I'm not sure that Dak can be consistent enough and the running backs can be consistent enough on the offense to be great. But I mean, the kicker. We're going to bash the kicker for this one game. I know I have been on some rants here lately, but I just can't go there. The guy has had a great season. He, he's, he's only missed three field goals the entire season until last night. I mean, if stuff gets in your head, I get it. Look, I know he's a professional. I know he gets paid a lot of money to kick. But there's a human element here that I just can't get around that people on social media, keyboard warriors, I just really, really despise that. And uh, I'm giving the guy a pass. Yeah. I'm saying he's still my kicker if I'm a coach. If right. I'm if I'm coaching him, he's my guy. But I'm that way. That's just who I am. I'm gonna be a little bit loyal there. I'm gonna dance with the one that brought me. You know, last night I was driving while the game was on and I'm listening to it and then I've got my husband on the phone with me and he missed two and the third one came up and I'm like, I just don't know. You know, I don't know. And Daniel said, Well, He's missed two. He can't miss three. And, of course, it happened. And then he came up again. And I'm like, I think they just need to go for a two-point conversion. Like, let's just give the guy a break. Go for two. Try to make up some of the points. And he goes, Tanya, he's missed three. There's no way he can miss four. (laughs) And then he did. And my first thought is, God bless him for that, for what he's going through from a mental perspective. And his wife and his mama that are having to go through this with him mentally. But I'm kind of with you. I mean, the guys had a great season. Jerry Jones originally came out and said, you know, he's our kicker. We're not going to just look at last night. And then about 12 hours later, he came back after practice today and said, yeah, we're going to look at options. And I think that's one of those things that maybe this is a takeaway for us with looking at our people, being loyal to our people, like you said, or sometimes at what point do we look at our people and say, okay, maybe they need to be, to use your phrase, in a different place on the bus. Jerry Jones changing his mind in 12 hours is a reflection of his leadership. I'm not a Jerry Jones fan. There was an element in the game that my interpretation of it was when the coach of Dallas had a fourth and four on like the 20, and he should have kicked a field goal. And this was after having missed the four extra points. And he chose to go for it, and they scored a touchdown on that play. There's a whole deal about the announcers, social media. Everybody's like, yeah, he's done because he should have kicked the field goal there. I actually interpreted that different. There used to be this thing that would happen that I really hated. It happened a lot in softball. I've seen it happen in baseball, and that is the kid make an error and the coach pull them mid-inning. I hate it. I'm not a big fan of it. It just hits 
kids where they don't need to It's demoralizing. But here's something that I've kind of shifted on this just a little bit. I still don't love it, but particularly around coaching young female athletes, certain phases of their life, they're embarrassed. And that embarrassment is worse than being pulled off. They would almost just like want to go sit down and get out for a minute. I really think that the decision to go for it on fourth and four at the 20 had more to do with him just protecting his kicker than him losing faith in his kicker. That was my interpretation. Now, Mm -hmm. if he would have completely lost faith in him, I don't think he would have sent him back out the rest of the game. I think that it says a lot about sometimes you do need to pull your people aside. Sometimes you do need to give your people an embarrassment break, but that doesn't mean that you've lost faith in them. I also, last night watching the game and on that fourth and four play, you know, analytics has become such a huge part of the game and the whole idea of Moneyball. And even listening to the announcers throughout the game last night, they kept spouting these data points of, well, at this point, you know, they have a 69% chance of winning. And if they do this, then it's going to change that percentage too. And, you know, I'm a college football fan and you don't hear that as much from the announcer's perspective as I did during the game last night. And so I kind of didn't even go from a coaching perspective perspective on that fourth and four play. I was just thinking that was probably a straight analytics. Okay, looking at the information that we have, this is the left-brained logical decision to make. I think the concept of it, though, is we need to pull back a little bit. I would agree. On the analytics. Yeah. All right. So we tend to go too far. And I think that's what we've done. I still love for coaches to coach and gut Moves. I think that that's what happens on fourth and four from the 20. And you're supposed to kick field goal. And he goes for it and they score a touchdown. The defense caught off guard, whatever you want to say. That's how championships happen. Not through this statistical, oh, the data says this. This is how we're going to do it. It just makes things too robotic for me. During the LSU-Alabama game earlier this year, when Coach Kelly decided to go for the win with the two-point conversion over the tie, his response was, it just felt right. And he ignored all of the analytics. He ignored everybody in his ear saying, this is what you need to do. He just said, let's go for it. And of course, had it not worked out, we know what social media and the traditional broadcast media would have done, but instead it changed the trajectory of his entire coaching future at LSU. I love that. That's not anything that data points will need to tell us. That is just the way it is. And so I think that that's part of this pull back this data point overload. And let's get back to some gut calls and doing some things and letting coaches earn their pay that way. From an agency perspective, I think one of the things that happens right now is we have so much information at our fingertips. We're being able to pull literally over a hundred performance indicators and we can get so wrapped up in reading all of this data that we lose A, the time that it takes to go through all this. And B, we're losing that instinctual thing. I call it the voice. Number one is I listen to the voice. And when I don't listen to the voice, then I swear at our house, we're going to put a jar in the kitchen that we have to put $10 in the jar every time that we don't listen to the voice and how it turns out. But I see this happen with agency owners that they have lost the confidence in their knowledge 
huge because they're constantly reading too much data. And one of the things that was my specialty in the marketing advertising world was being able to take data and make it say what I wanted it to say. Well, that can happen in our agencies too. And if we're doing that in a negative way, we can spiral. I'm historically one of those individuals that could project prototype anything to do what I need it to do. If I really want to do this, I can twist it. That would be my comparative to your marketing analogy. I could do that with numbers. We need to invest in this thing because it's going to generate X. Those are all projections. They're not real. They're just fake data, right? I think that over the years, one of the things that became really, really apparent to me is that you need somewhat of a small core group of KPIs to just help you and guide you. Everything else is noise. All that information and all that data that we have today is irrelevant when we don't have contextual or good way to see it. And so we have to compile it. We spend a lot of energy there. When really, if we got down to just a couple of things, then we would be good. <clears throat> and and I think that we used to track everything expense-wise. And we used to track all of these detail, minute things. And we had these spreadsheets. And we would do this and do this and do this. And then one day, I just got burned out with it. And I stopped. And then there was some conversation internally, like, we should get back on that. And I just let it go. And finally, like four years went by, five years went by, and I didn't have this information. And then it it hit me recently in the last year. You know, I didn't need all of that stuff, but I really liked having this slice of the information that was provided to me in that data. And so what I did is I went back and I just went after the information that I wanted. And it took me an hour to go back six years, pull all that data in because it was just a really small section of the data. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do it in such a short period of time. And now I'm current. And it was amazing that it showed me from 2015 to 2022 where things have progressed. And um, and it took an hour. It took an hour. I think it goes back to the word that is matted and framed in my office and that's specificity. And I am so grateful that 18 years ago, Vicki French took that word, had it printed and matted and framed for me because it has been a reminder for me every day in every office that I've had since then. And I think figuring out the specificity of the data we need is so important. I've seen so many, especially solopreneurs that get so involved with all of this data. And like you said, they feel important because they can look at it and they spend this time and going back to your mentor saying, but nothing happens until the cash register rings. When we get so knee or waist or neck deep in information that we forget we're supposed to get out and sell something, then that's when the problem really happens. I saw a tweet. I saw an acquisition come across and it was some reason this one company was paying a couple of billion dollars for this other company. And the deal in the article was about data points. Oh, but the data points they're going to gain from this is why this acquisition is so strategic and so good. And this was an insurance acquisition. One of the comments was from this individual that was involved, a C-suite level guy at, at an insure tech. And his comment was, as if 
the insurance world knows what to do with all that data. I thought it was interesting because that was the perception from the techie was that we didn't know what to do with all this stuff. And in some ways, there's some truth to that. We talk about wanting this data and the world and the period of time that we're in now is big data, right? And that is leading us down this path where do we really know what to do with all that stuff? Are we really going to be able to take it, slice it, and get what we want out of it? Or are we just really creating things that we want to see to make us feel better? Is it really good and useful information? Or is it self-serving, narcissistic sort of things that says, look what I can do. Look at my pretty graphs. That's really, really important for agency owners is not to get wrapped up in all that. On the flip side of that, that's also what our data providers are pushing us to do because they are justifying price increases by giving us more data. Data is not bad. I'm not saying data is bad. What I am saying is that we are smart people. I think what it comes down to is that we have these tools, but sometimes we allow these tools as if these tools are going to outperform the person. There has to be some human element, some common sense applied. We've done this recent thing where we've actually reduced our portfolio on our retail operation. And the reason we did this is we found out that 92% of our business was being written in 10 carriers. Now that's personal lines and that's all across the board. Uh, So what's happening with this other 8%? Well, this other 8% was getting scattered across inefficient carriers and it was causing our service people to go insane trying to keep up with all the carrier portals and the forms and all these things. And in reality, if I expand that top 10 to top 15, we get to 95%. And so really we're dealing with about 5% of our business literally scattered across about 20 other carriers. And it's like, what are we doing? That's good data. I want to go back to what you said about we have to remember that our human knowledge is just as important, if not more so, than the statistical knowledge. My husband was looking at an investment that he has in vertical farming, and he was talking about that looking at it from a logical perspective that this should be booming, right? That they make lettuce. It's a hydroponic lettuce company in the stock market and that everything looks great on paper. And he couldn't figure out why that it wasn't doing what it was expected to do. And I said, well, let's talk about it. Let's let's talk through it. And he was telling me, okay, they've done this and they've had this kind of expansion and they've, they've done this. And they've now started providing hydroponic lettuce to Sam's. And I said, okay, stop. Don't give me any more information. That's all we needed to know. And I shared with him the knowledge in my brain that I had of when companies go to work with Sam's and Walmart and what ends up happening traditionally to that. And first of all, he's like, I don't even know why you have that in your brain. But second of all, he goes, okay, now it makes sense. So looking at just the data without a human element of knowledge was causing a challenge. And the fact that I had a little bit of human knowledge historically about companies that went to work with Sam's and Walmart, then all of a sudden this craziness made sense. The data points on a pure data element on the insurance side, we've had this discussion for years and there is an ongoing loss 
cost increase that's going to happen annually. The cost of claims, the cost of losses, they are going to increase because of normal inflation. Forget the last couple of years, forget hyperinflation that we've been experiencing. I'm just talking about normal inflation. If you don't increase your rates, if an insurance carrier does not keep up with loss costs, they will find themselves losing money. But if you're just the data guy and you sit over here and you look at the screen, then you can manipulate, well, if we cut here, if we cut right here, if we do this here, we can grow here. And we can get into this really crazy, unstable rate process. This was my argument when I was on carrier agent councils. I love product people, but you can't let them just go. You've got to add human element to this. You've got to add common sense and consumer perspective to this because the product folks will just turn dials and they won't really put rationale to it. You have to keep this within the human element. And for years, agents have said, look, Take your single digit rate. Take the rate every year. Take a little bit. Do a little bit. People are not going to complain about that. What I need you to stay away from are these big double digit rate swings. I need you to stay away from that. That disrupts my book. That causes my people pain. That gives my book of business a reason to be disrupted. And that's what happens within some product areas of our carriers. We sort of let them go loose. And the next thing you know, we're feeling good because we're writing a lot of business and the rate hasn't kept up. New business is growing and we're, we're really excited about that when that's happening. You need to take a deep breath. You need to take a step back and go, okay, what's wrong? Because that should not necessarily happen without realizing that there's going to be something to pay down the line. Because at some point, there's going to be that double-digit increase because they didn't take their loss cost during this time. Data points are going to tell you you can play with that. Data points without human common sense are going to lead you astray. Not to throw our carriers under the bus because we love our carriers and we obviously could not do business without them. Absolutely. How does this continue to happen when you have the input of agency saying, for years, this is what we need from you? Why does this continue to happen? Well, truth is that carriers need to grow. Easiest way to grow is we're not going to take rate this year or, you know, everybody else is going to take rate. We're going to freeze rate or we're going to hold on our rate or we're not going to take as big of a rate as we really mathematically need to take. The insurance industry, we're specifically talking auto home here, I would say that marketplace as a whole is a really small, slow growth market. In order to get market share, There's all this ebb and flow of rate and product adjustment. And when a carrier is trying to grow, feels like they got all their stuff together and they've got their hands around everything. And they're like, okay, this year we're growing. And so the first thing they do is they adjust rate in the sense of who qualifies for their best rate. They adjust it on the backside. And agents say, oh, don't do that. But then at the same time, we as agents say, if it helps me get some business away from the captive side, then okay, I'll play. I'm going to pay the piper later, but I'm going to play. You're going to retain that business for the most part. There's this cycle that we go through. And I'm not saying 
bad that this happens. Like, I get it. There's a growth need at the carrier level. And I respect our carriers for having to do that. Just like I respect our carriers for having to take rate. From an agent standpoint, if you have a book of business, I'm just more of the slow and steady wins the race kind of guy. So my opinion is I would rather see that stable single digit growth rather than no rate for a couple of years and then double digit rate. Getting back to the Dallas Tampa Bay game, one of the things that Jerry Jones addressed after the game when everyone was talking about the kicker and the challenges he was having, he said, you know, how great is it that this is what we're talking about? I mean, we're talking about four points. And with that kind of game, we could have been talking about quarterback problems. We could have been talking about defense problems, O-line problems. There are so many major issues we could have been talking about. But we were talking about a kicker and four points. And I think that this happens in our agencies too, is that we have a tendency to see one negative thing or one or two negative things and we grab a hold of it. And we don't see all of the really great things that are going on. And we let those little things really tear us down. That's probably one of the smarter things Jerry Jones has ever acknowledged or said. (laughs) And I actually hate to say that I agree with him here. We're talking about missed extra points, right? We're not talking about Dak getting sacked over and over, over and yeah, over. Yeah. You know? So so he's it's a great point and I agree that our agencies we tend as owners to kind of do the same thing and I really think it starts with our frontline staff, our account managers, our sales folks, they will raise the sky is falling type thing to us because the panic button hits with them. And I think as owners and agency leaders, I think we have to have that calm, still voice that says, hey, it's going to be okay. That's one client. That's one situation. Or, hey, that's one carrier. We can fix this. We can get through this. Let's all take a deep breath. Because that does happen within our agencies. And we really freak out. And we think this hard market is terrible. No, it's not. I haven't talked to an agency in the last year whose revenue's not up. You may be out there, but you're not in my circle. I don't know who you are. I would love to hear from you. I know plenty of agencies whose policy and force count is down, but their revenue is still up. Remember your data points. Remember the handful that I'm encouraging you to lean on and realize that the sky is probably not falling and your job is to be the calm, right? Your job is to lead through that frustration. Our listeners know if they have listened to more than one podcast that our number one KPI is policy per client. Yes. What other KPIs should we be focused on? Spread per employee. That's revenue spread over number of employees, cost per employee. Because labor is the largest expense line in our agencies. And no, if you're not an agency owner, I'm not calling you an expense. You're an investment. I'm just saying from a practical standpoint, incomes and expenses, the labor line is always the largest in insurance agencies. Another one is premium or revenue per client. Not average premium per policy. I'm talking about premium per client or account. That'll also relate to your policy per client ratio as well. Those two things kind of work together. Those are the three or four that I focus on more than others that I would say if you're doing that, then you're in good shape. The other thing 
and this isn't a KPI necessarily, but it's something to keep a track on, is expense creep. We've talked about subscription overload here. We've talked about things that you pay for that you may not need to be paying for. So watch out for expense creep within your profit and loss statement. I'll tell you the one that I don't like that I think automatically pops up in our management system when you're running reports is there's a line that says comparison to the national average Mm. or some such. Mm. And ignore that line. Like to me, that's just one of those comparison is the thief of joy. There are so many variables when you're looking to me at that line of compared to a national average. I think that's a great point. I think that it's trying to pull from some different survey information out there and they get an E for effort. It's a software company trying to do their best to help. I get it. I think that's why the best practices study that Reagan Consulting puts out with Independent Agents and Brokers Association annually, that's why they really slice that up by size and then they also slice that up by region is because there can be a huge difference. If you're in Ohio, you know, Ohio, Indiana, your premiums are low compared to Texas, Louisiana. It's just a fact. So you got to do so much more business to get to the same revenue point in terms of clients or policy count. That's a geographic issue. And that's just a reality in terms of insurance costs around, around different regions. And so when you just start saying compared to, and it's just huge, broad, stroke kind of comment, it's like, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, just <laughs> let that one roll. You know, I, I had a mentor years ago tell me to use the phrase in my mind, duck feathers. You know, when you start seeing stuff like that, just let it roll right off your back. I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Michael Jordan. Obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's in IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.